it was just about a week and a half ago that we were marking Good Friday. And we were remembering on that day how our Lord Jesus was captured, unjustly condemned, scourged, treated like a criminal, crucified upon a Roman cross, and died. And after he had died, to make sure that he was indeed dead, one of the soldiers came and thrust a lance into his side, into his sacred heart, and out flowed blood and water. And his dead body was put into the grave. But on the third day, he conquered death. On the third day, he rose from the dead. On the third day, he did not simply return to this earthly life, but was transformed, was the first fruits of the resurrection. And this, therefore, is what we proclaim and celebrate, especially during this Easter season, that Christ is risen, that Christ is alive. We heard how the disciples rejoiced, how they responded. And so our readings today are full of joy and hope and exaltation in response to the resurrection of the Lord. But we notice that there was one who was not sharing in this joy, who was left out of this great joy that we are proclaiming, was left out of it. And that was Thomas. Thomas, as we heard, was not there on that first night, that night of Easter Sunday. Now, we often call him Doubting Thomas, don't we? And yet, I think that that's not really an accurate name for him. It is a little bit, but mostly not. And here's why I say that. I believe that what Thomas is expressing here are not intellectual doubts. You can call them doubts, but in a completely different way. And the reason why I say that is because if what he was expressing were intellectual doubts, there are many more things that we would have heard him say in that moment when he was talking to the disciples and pushing back after that first Sunday night. He would have offered some sort of explanation. For example, why he thought the resurrection was impossible. And he especially would have offered an alternate explanation to what they were telling him. He would have said something like, no, what really happened to you was this. But he doesn't say that. And that's because I think that Thomas is like many others that I meet from time to time. And who sometimes, if they express it as doubts, it's not intellectual doubts, but it's what we might call personal doubts or emotional doubts. Which is to say, it's someone who's not looking for an explanation. It's someone who's looking for personal contact with God. Someone who's looking for a personal touch, personal assurance. Someone who's looking to have their hurt soothed. Now this is a great need. And Thomas, therefore, stands crying out in this need. It may well be that Thomas, from a distance, perhaps saw his Lord Jesus die on the cross, perhaps saw that lance go into the side and blood and water come out, had in his own way suffered the trauma of our Lord's death, and who wanted our Lord to touch him and to heal him of that trauma. And perhaps he was worried 
that after that, that our Lord really had appeared to the other disciples, that he really did believe. I was afraid that he would never appear to him, that he would never have that personal contact, at least in this earthly life. Now, where Thomas went wrong is that he went from expressing that need to childishly demanding that it be met, and saying if it was not met, then he would not believe. He would stay in his room. He wouldn't cooperate in proclaiming the good news. This is where he went wrong. But in having that need and in in asking for it to be met, he was absolutely right. And so we see that our Lord Jesus, when he then appeared to them again one week later on this second Sunday of Easter, responded to Thomas and met his need, invited him to touch those wounds. And we see that as our Lord Jesus gave him that mercy, that it healed that wound within Thomas. And he was able to respond with that great affirmation of faith. My Lord and my God. It was our Lord's wounds that Thomas wanted to touch. In effect, to touch his wounds to Jesus' wounds. And in that touch, to receive from him mercy. Mercy. A forgiveness of sins, but so much more than that. Mercy, our Lord's riches meeting Thomas's needs. And we know that as human beings, we have so many. There are our corporal needs for food and drink and food and housing and so on. But there are spiritual needs for instruction and encouragement and comfort and so many more things. And that need that Thomas had, that so many more have, to know God to have that personal contact, that personal experience. He reached out for those wounds. He asked for our Lord's mercy, and he received it. One of those popes canonized today, John XXIII, as he opened the Second Vatican Council, spoke of the medicine of mercy as exactly what we as Christ's Church need to be offering to the world. Indeed, what we need ourselves this medicine that will reach in and heal us. Pope John Paul II, also canonized today, wrote in his encyclical on mercy of how mercy is more powerful than sin, more powerful than death. Consider, how much of a role does shame play inside so many people today? Shame for sins committed causing hurt in them and in others. Shame before God, shame before other people, shame within themselves. But that blood coming forth from Jesus' side, that red ray of light in the divine mercy image, shows us, and actually I just chose the wrong color, let me change. The water coming forth from our Lord Jesus' side, that white ray of light, shows us that his mercy is stronger than sin. In the midst of our sin, he did not leave the cross, but stayed with us. And that mercy flows forth in the waters of baptism and also in confession. It is more powerful than any sin. There is no sin, no sin, that our Lord cannot forgive. There is no sin that he cannot wash away. 
what good news this is to us and to every person we ever meet. His grace, His mercy is more powerful than our shame, is more powerful than any sin. And that water, that white ray of light shines forth to give us that confidence. But we may have other fears as well. Fear of consequences, consequences of following our Lord, consequences, other consequences, including death. But our Lord Jesus, as we proclaim in this Easter season, overcame death. If he conquered death, what is there that he cannot conquer? If he has conquered death, of what should we be afraid? And so in this Holy Eucharist, we draw near to the altar, to our Lord truly present under the appearances of bread and wine. And we remember that blood that flowed from his side and that red ray of light in the divine mercy image. We draw near to the one who conquered death. And remember that mercy is stronger than death. And so, as we hear in the letter to the Hebrews, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and timely help. Let us draw near to our Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, this great source of mercy. This is the medicine that the world needs. This is stronger than sin, stronger than death. Let us, like Thomas, ask for the mercy of the Lord. And thus, let us receive it. There's something that I forgot to say earlier in my homily that I just want to add right now. There are times that I'll be talking to people and I'll be talking to someone who's very much like St. Thomas, though actually in a much more mature way than he was at that moment. That is to say, they'll be able to recognize and say explicitly that people they know have met and experienced Christ personally, and they know they have, and that they themselves desperately want this, but it hasn't happened yet. So much better than St. Thomas said at the time. And I can see their passion and their sincerity as it runs down their face. And the thing is, is this is such a beautiful desire. And the thing is, is that often I'm able to be an instrument as I then am able to give them some of the Lord's tools of mercy. Certainly the sacrament of confession, one of the sacraments of healing. Sometimes, if it's appropriate, the anointing of the sick, another of the sacraments of healing. Sometimes the unbound method of prayer and deliverance. And often I find and have the great joy of seeing that in receiving these, they then receive that very thing that they have been wanting for so long and not received, that personal touch of our Lord Jesus. So if that should describe you or someone you know, if you or someone you know are like St. Thomas in that way, um, please feel free to contact me. The Lord may be ready to give you exactly what you've been wanting for so long. Please stand.